properties as well as I, 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 might, I might have a preaching on the, on the uniqueness uh, of this portion of scripture, how very much it's, it's repeated in other places of scripture, and how it really serves as almost a footnote <laughs> to, to uh, everything, everything else that, that comes out of Sinai is but a footnote to Moses that may have been uh, the Lord Jesus' mind in the Sermon on the Mount, especially if you regard the ceremonial law that pictures the gospel as a, a positive law and application of the Ten Commandments. But you know, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting way ahead of myself. But uh, just keep in mind this uh, regarding the career philosophy, all of it is but a, a footnote to Plato. Uh, there, there's a, a great conversation going within the Bible. I hope you'll all, when you read your Bibles, will see that it's a, a story that's being unfolded. It's a great conversation of that, uh, of that unfolding of the essence of God and His will. And uh, that essence and that will is expressed very succinctly in a most prominent form delivered on uh, Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments. So here is the Lord's word, Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17. God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, and brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I am the Lord your God, and a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, on it you shall not do any work, you nor your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or soldier that is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not cover your neighbor's house, you shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's as far reading God's word. Please be seated. Of, of the Ten Commandments in various places, and I gave the, the references to that. 
would be enough to give us a hint as to the importance of these 17 verses. It, that is a, a, a valuable rule of, ex, of exegesis and hermeneutics that when you read in Scripture, uh, even a, a portion or an allusion to other place in Scripture, often and very often, then it is a, a section of Scripture that is very, very important. And for you children, you might consider, if anybody asks you, what, what is the most often repeated or alluded uh, to uh, Old Testament passage in the New Testament? And that is from Psalm 110. That's, it, it has many, many allusions, I, I think over 90. At one point or another, uh, the Lord uh, says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make a means of footstool for your feet. And that, that psalm is very important because it shows uh, the Lordship of Christ as well as his priesthood and kingdom. So uh, yeah, that's, why we, that's why we get such a Christian psalm. Anyway, repetition, repetition. And you would expect that um, in, in a teaching that has, in a, in a passage of scripture that has these kinds of qualities that I've already preached on. I'm just going to give a, a review of, of, of the summary of the heads. First of all, we, we saw last week that the law of the moral law of ten is, is universal, and it really extends to every man, in every age, in every place, in every condition. It's always appropriate, it's never unappropriate. And there's no, there's no person that it doesn't apply to young, old, uh, whether they're Western or Eastern, ignorant or intelligent. Um, but uh, the way to understand it, of course, is, is that the, uh, the perfection of the law and its universal universality is, it, it needs to be understood that God has presented it in his written form uh, by, the, by his own finger on, on, on tablets of stone but in summary, the, each commandment is a head, or you might say a chapter head, or if you want to reclassify it, a genus of a, of a type of, of, of a commandment with various other species of commandments below it, more detail than you, you might be able to list. So it's, it's a severe summary, and, and really there's ten, because uh, ten of these are relatively easy for man to, to, to remember. Uh, and yet, of course, in the New Testament, especially in Paul's epistle, you see many, many, many more commandments. Each epistle has, I don't know, tens, tens of commandments, groups of tens of commandments. And so you can follow the law with more, uh, more preciseness, but, but it suffices to say that the law is perfect, meeting every man in every condition, if we realize that it's just a summary and uh, the things that are stated positively, the negative things that are commanded positively, positively the things that are, are prohibited, are automatically considered are, it's negative, etc. So I, I consider nothing about that. And then I mentioned that the law is, is spiritual. So we see that the law, the moral law is universal, the moral law is perfect. And I mentioned uh, last time that the moral law is spiritual. And uh, of course, the, the Romans 7.14 admits that quite literally. And it is given by a spiritual lawgiver, which is God, on Mount Sinai. And so it's compatible in that way. He, the spiritual being, has these spiritual interests. But, but the more concern to us today uh, that the law is, is spiritual is that we ought never to pit uh, the law of God versus the spirit of God. 
The Bible never ever does that, except when in the New Testament uh, the, the gospel, uh, the gospel covenant, the covenant of grace in Christ, is put against the the works of the law as a covenant. That is to say, the, the law as, in the form of a covenant of works that needs to be pitted against the, the grace of the Spirit in the New Testament for justification. But it needs to be said right away, and we repeat this very, very often, that materially, materially, the law of God is one for the unregenerate, that is to say, a man who is bound to that law as a covenant of works that he must fulfill, like Adam was uh, there in, uh, in the garden. He's bound to fulfill it, it's perfection, under the threat of death. If he does fulfill it, the law, as stated to the unregenerate man, uh, still has uh, promises for him. And, uh, but if he doesn't fulfill it, it's all threats and curses. But in the New Testament, the law, the, the moral law, cannot condemn a man so as to curse him because he's in Christ and he's dying to that law. In fact, a Christian is dead to the law as a covenant of works, both for cursing and for blessing. We do not look to the law for blessing. We, we, the law does not give, it does not have power to give us anything to help us along. Uh, it just shows us that this is the way, and, uh, and it says not if you're able to do this, especially with the covenant of works, that you have no mediator to help, no one to understand, and no one to stand between you and God. One hand on the Lord and Father, and one hand on you and say, all right, uh, now you are right, so there's no mic. So, so let's keep in mind that we are, that except for the area of justification, there really is no pity, law versus gospel. Um, Romans 7, 14, Paul says, what we know in the law is spiritual. And if there's any complaint by Paul is not that the law is no good, even though he's a Christian now, this complaint is, he says, I know the law is spiritual, and then he didn't hear this complaint. But I am the flesh, so what I'm saying. Well, now that's your complaint. The problem is not in the law. The, the problem is in Paul. Uh, Romans 8, 5, Paul continues, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. For those who live according to the spirit, set their minds on the things of the spirit. Again, uh, in Galatians, uh, so, so the, the the spirit, uh, excuse me, the, the, the gospel age is known especially by the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all men. And in Galatians 5 16, Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the, the desires of the flesh. And the desires of the flesh are sin. And so as long as we are walking in the Spirit, we are not walking in sin. That means that as long as we are walking in the Spirit, we are we are walking according to the law. The law and the spirit are not to be pitted, and it should never be pitted. And I, I, that's one of the things I want to really, really convince you of, um, because because of several reasons. And I mean, one of this reason here, this first reason, is the moral laws of the Ten Commandments is spiritual. All right, let me continue developing the rest of the properties of the moral law: universal, perfect, spiritual, and holy. The law uh, is holy, and the commandment is holy. That's Romans 7 and verse 12. 
It's a, a hardly easy explanation. But what I want you to know, and all of you know this, certainly the Ten Commandments are publication and an authoritative and majestic declaration of the will of God. You know, if someone says, well, what does God want me to do? What must I do to please God? Well, this is a very direct statement. Uh, and, and we are never, ever, we are never going to go wrong if we have a view to the law as a, a sure guide for the laboratory our footsteps, all right? So that uh, most Christians today say, uh, uh, God's authority is in it, and we know his will is for us to be holy and avoid sin. But what very few people keep in mind is that because the law is holy, that this law is compatible with God himself who is holy. That is to say, the, the law is holy and is a perfect transcript. Oh, I shouldn't say perfect transcript. No, a fair transcript. It's a fair transcript of the infinite holiness of God's nature. Now, when it comes to his will, his, his will and commandments is expressed in uh, the Ten Commandments. We say that this law of the Ten Commandments is moral because it is this fair transcript of the nature of God. That is to say that it teaches us about holiness. When we receive other commandments in the scripture that are not universal, that are special applications that are compatible with the nature of God, especially his authority, his kingdom, and all that we call those applications positive law. And we say that that uh, is a fair transcript and recorded in scripture, not of his holy nature, but of his holy will. Now, I know we can, we can examine this in a, in, a, in a deeper theological discussion. But for now, we don't know why. We're not, we're, we don't know why God would choose to make the earth and the heavens and the earth six days and rest on the Sabbath. We have no idea why, but that was, that was his will, and I'm sure it was infinite wisdom and all that. Uh, but in, um, in keeping the Sabbath day, for instance, uh, you might say, well, he could have chosen anything, and the, the day of his choosing has nothing to do with nature, so that's not a moral commandment. But the problem is that God himself rested on the seventh day. In other words, it was in his mind on that seventh day to uh, cease work and to enjoy, <laughs> principally, his own self, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in concert with, with his new creature, man. And if that's part of what God wants to do to express himself in his nature, well, then that's still a moral commandment. So, uh, uh, what I'm saying here is the moral law is holy, because God is holy, and when he commands this holy, it should never, it should never be hated. Um, to hate law, to hate God's law, is to hate God. And the, the opposite of that is true. To love God is to keep his commandments. Uh, children, you know that that's what the Lord says. If you love me, you keep, you keep my commandments. Why? Because God is love, and his commandments are love. And uh, Jesus says, if you, if you obey my word, uh, if my word binds in you, then my Father, my God, I will come to you, and we will follow you. It sounds like a, a salvation by, by works. No, but what we're saying is we will draw close to you as you draw close to, to God's truth and through God's uh, word. 
All right. The, the law is holy, and um, we, need, we need to make very sure uh, that we, in our hearts, do not begrudge anything that God commands us. Um, so, we've got universal, correct, and perfect, spiritual, it's holy. The moral law is also just, and there's, there's equity, there's a reasonableness and a, a justice in the law that corresponds to our, our nature. And we just mentioned God's nature uh, in, in a transcript of his holiness in the law, but now we see that the law is very compatible with the creature of man who was made in God's image. And uh, initially, it was uh, perfect in knowledge, in righteousness, and in rightness. And so the moral law is just. If it were given to a creature where it didn't fit, then you say, well, God is not just. He's not wise. He's not a good ruler. And he's making laws that don't fit the creature. If these, if these laws were given to say dogs out here in that park, well, you know, first of all, they're not going to understand it. They don't keep calendars. It doesn't, this doesn't suit dogs. But it does suit man, in, in his, especially in his, uh, in, in, in his initial creation. And then we uh, again echo that in man's regeneration or recreation. When man is born again, he's recreated. You see, all things are new. And, and, and he did the apostles as he did renewed in knowledge and righteousness according to the pattern uh, that is in Christ. He's a new creature. So the moral law is just and it's equitable and it's suitable for our, to our frame and especially as reasonable creatures. Now, if you just think about this, this is the reason that preaching can be so heavy. Why am I addressing your mind? There's nothing in this sanctuary that's hidden in your affections. Now, I can manipulate your affections. Remember, you're musicians here. And I, and I know that, that certain frequencies of, 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 of musical of harmonics uh, poured out in, in loud decibel form will get you excited and perhaps stir some uh, crazy hormones and emotions in you. And, and, and people are manipulated like that in religion all the time. But the address is to reasonable creatures. Reason. It's line upon line, precept upon precept. And so it, it, is a, it is a thing that comes to in word form. It is, and that's, that's the transmission of the law and, of course, uh, the gospel there. It, it's very similar to our frame as reasonable creatures. And it, it is, this law commands absolutely nothing but what we owe to God, what we owe to our neighbors, and to uh, what we owe to ourselves. In other words, God is not like so many bad writers that don't know when to close a chapter or when to finish a book. You know, he's, at one point, I think around me, God pronounced all these words and he said, not one more word. <laughs> I love that. It, it, it's, it's, it's like so many persons, all they want to do is pray all day long, even though they should be going to work, even though they should be, you know, doing things around the house. And so they don't like the word in that They never control their prayers. Well, no, I mean, if, if, if God expresses himself and expresses himself well in a manner that is suitable and workable, practical to reasonable creatures, he's going to have a, a block, a block passage that will be easy to manipulate. And so God commands nothing but what we owe him uh, and order our neighbor or ourselves. Now, 
What we're saying is, because the law is so just and so perfect that it's like a, it's like a suit that just fits you nicely. I don't know if you've ever been tailored, measured for a suit. You go in and you go to a good department store, you might find one that's a near fit. Yeah, that's good. You ever go to an expert tailor? You'll know the difference. I, I mean, it just fits like a glove. You believe under that. All right. Well, that's what that's what the moral law does for for mankind. And so to fret against the equity or the justice, to fret, to to chafe against the equity of any commander or or wishing in the smallest degree that it be relaxed, it is unjust and it's a breach of the whole law. God gives an indictment on the lawgiver in His nature and your nature. It's a rebellion against creation and the Creator. It, it, it is. Chafing in our rebellion, in our ignorance, and I'm not going forward with God in the slightest command. You know, there's some very, very important commandments. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Do justice, do mercy, walk humbly. These are huge commandments, but any commandment, the least, if we think, nah, this is not good, it's an indictment of the whole law, and really it's an indictment of our person. Because the moral law is just and it's equitable to the creature as a creature. So holy, uh, just, equitable, um, also the moral law is good. Uh, and uh, the, the commandments of the Lord are all good in and of themselves. Uh, they don't need a, a context. Uh, they, are, <laughs> they are good per se. Uh, and First uh, Timothy 8, you can see where I've got my, my note on here. Uh, we know that the law is good. And then he qualifies it, if one uses it awfully. Now here's the maximum, maximum mistake, gross, gross error that the Jews uh, fell into. They used the law unlawfully. How so? Well, they used the law unlawfully to attempt to justify themselves before God. The law is not a means by which a man may be made right. The law uh, indicates sin. And so if you use the law unlawfully, that which is good is going to be the cause uh, of, of, of your condemnation. Uh, you, you are utterly wrong. And all you have pro proved here in yourself and, 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 and the angels of God and all creation is that you are under the works of the law in the form of covenant. And that's a maximum mistake because that's the form that you have, and you have all had it, and I have had it, in Adam. That was our former head, and when we converted, we had Christ as our head, and now we have uh, that as not as a covenant uh, by which we can be justified, but uh, a, a covenant in Christ of grace where we are accepted uh, in the blood of Christ before God completely. And imputed that perfect perfect righteousness described in the commandments, that's that's given to our credit because Christ completed those very commandments and all the other Jewish commandments because he was made under the law of the Jew. Alright, so all that goodness under the covenant of grace uh, is ours, and all commandments, all commandments of scripture, now that we are regenerated are mediated to us by Christ, the lawgiver, and, you know, 
He is the Lord. He is the King. He rules by and He rules in righteousness. In righteousness. And that is a term so important in Scripture. It does not go undefined. Righteousness is defined in the law. This is what it is to be righteous. And here are the righteous precepts. So he's our righteous king, he's our righteous prophet, and he'll never say anything, anything in contradiction to the law. Jesus' own speeches but a footnote to Moses. I'm not saying Moses is greater than Jesus, I'm saying Jesus gave the law to Moses. He's the mediator of the covenant of grace. And so Jesus, the Christ, the second person of the Trinity, gave the law to Moses on Sinai. Because that's, that law was mediated. Because it was a covenant of grace. All right. The law is good. All commandments are good in themselves. And uh, it, it is, but you have to use it lawfully. You have to use it lawfully. And that there is, uh, is a very important uh, application. Children, if, if you want to obey God, uh, just be sure that your motives are to please God in gratefulness for saving you. If you're a Christian, you. Uh, you are obeying the law of God out of gratitude because He has already uh, received you as righteous and He has already embraced you as, as an adopted son in His house and He is mightily pleased, as pleased with you as, as Christ is pleased with you in Christ. He, he, you're, perfectly, you're perfectly righteous in His sight because you're in Christ. Uh, the commandments that Very, very, uh, very prudently, very wisely, most, most wisely, and that is in perfect concert and agreement with who we are and the will of God. Now, some of us don't understand this uh, as much as we should. Uh, we think that we don't want to place the burden of the law on, on, on the non Christian man. We don't want to remind him of God's will uh, because it indicts him of sin. In other words, most evangelism, they teach you, okay, here's the gospel, go out and declare the gospel. Uh, but, you know, even if they don't accept the gospel, my friends, you, know, you, might, leave, you might leave them a, a, a tremendous gift. And the tremendous gift is this, the law. Because the law is good, and the commandments are good for every man. And even if a person has no desire to please God in it, and yet he is faithful to his wife and is not stealing. I mean, I, I, I know a man, <laughs> I, know, I know a man who uh, was not a Christian, he wanted to divorce his wife, and, and they had all the papers ready and all that, ready to sign, and, uh, and uh, we're not Christian, we're not Christian. And, but uh, one of them had been brought up, the wife had been brought up as a, as a, as a Christian, and younger, and they were ready to sign all the divorce papers and all that, all the lawyers were through. And she says, Well, you know, wait, God hates divorce. Why? God hates divorce. God hates divorce. Yeah, you're, you're, you know, that's adultery. Why? So the man is going to technically get on the computer and Google, you know, does God hate divorce? Yeah, he does. God hates divorce. Well, let's not upset God. <laughs> okay. There's nothing to faith in there. There's nothing of gratitude in it. They, they knew, but they knew in, in their hearts and in their natures that you don't want to, you, you don't have to necessarily, you don't want to upset the Lord. You don't want to provoke God. 
Every creature does a wonderful world. And so the commandments are, are good for, for every man. Again, not for justification. But we need to rethink uh, evangelism in a big way. Because if we don't accept the, the gospel if we want to, we can still give them a gift. Hey, don't covet it. Learn contentment. That's a hard one. But you know how much trouble that would avoid in life if people just, even on the surface, even externally, would behave themselves according to um, the commands, the moral law of God. In fact, the moral law of God is conducive, conducive not just to the saints, but it's conducive to every man's happiness and peace. Uh, Psalm 119 and uh, verse 65. Yeah. Uh, the psalmist says, You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. And uh, as I said, the word of God is, is all, as it were, a footnote according to the law. And, and the Lord deals better with nations that are salted with his moral law than uh, those nations that abandon themselves uh, in all manner of vile. Uh, vile passion, and with no regard to anything that's good at all. So the law, as as a gift from God to the world, is conducive to every man's happiness and peace. Brothers, that's a that's a foreign thought in in evangelical Christians to uh, circles today. Most people think that the law is horrible and the gospel is great. That need to read their scriptures. Now, it's conducive to every man's happiness, especially the way of faith now. And gratitude. Hey, look, I redeemed you out of Egypt. Here I led you through the wilderness. Now we're camped on the, on the slopes of, of Mount Horeb. And I want you to know I'm giving you these commandments because I am the Lord your God. And I have redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I've done good for you. And I continue to do good for you. And so obey me uh, from the whole heart. Uh, but again, I will say, it's conducive to every man's happiness and peace, even if uh, only outwardly obeyed without saving grace. And uh, Paul in Romans 2 holds that out. Uh, in Romans 2, verse 10, Paul uh, gives us a rating here that is a, a, a reissuing of the use of the law in terms of a covenant of works. And he says, that there will be tribulation and distress for every human, every human being who does evil. All right, that is to say that breaks the law. But the Jew first, and then also the Greek. Well, the Greek doesn't have the law. No, well, the Greek has a law in his members. You can develop that later in that same chapter, okay? Uh, who does evil with uh, uh, distress and tribulation is for every human being who does evil. The Jew first, also the Greek. But, and here's, here's the promise. Here's the promise. Even under the covenant of works, the broken covenant of works, which employs the same law, but the application of the positive law, don't eat the, of the fruit of the tree, knowledge of the evil. But anyway, uh, with this promise, the promise of glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. God's interested in righteousness. God's interested in righteousness. Now, as a Christian, under the gospel, uh, the law, as you receive the law from, from the hand of Christ, 
That is a covenant of grace here, right? grace not law as a justification. It, it, when you pursue holiness and uh, and you obey God, uh, look, we, we never in any in any sense uh, uh, merit any reward from God, even as Christians doing good. But the good news is that God is so gracious and such a good and heavenly Father that He sees all that we do. Uh, as we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, that He will certainly give us these things, not as a just rewards according to our work and merit, but just because He is gracious. So He will, He will distinguish um, uh, the noble, the good. He wants to honor uh, glory. He, might, he will give you glory and honor and peace uh, for everyone that does good. And what is good? Well, the goodness is the keeping of. His commandments. And the last point I want to bring up is that the moral law is perpetual. And that, of course, uh, is reminiscent or should remind you of its perfection. That which is perfect uh, is complete and endures. And, uh, and the things that are imperfect don't, uh, don't continue in that form. But this law does continue. Uh, in the way these words and these commandments do continue, all of them wholesomely as um, uh, in, in forever. Psalm 119 and verse 89 Forever, O Lord, forever your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. And Jesus had the same sentiments on the mountain. Heaven and earth may pass away. My words will never pass away. Not one jot or tittle of the word of the, of the law, not one jot or tittle of the law. Uh, will 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 go until all these things are fulfilled. It endures forever through all time. That is to say, from creation to the end of the world, the last day. That's time. But some of you have not considered perhaps that the law of God is perpetual and endures through all eternity, even in heaven, in the new heavens and the new earth. Um, Psalm one nineteen. And verse, and verse 60, the sum of your word is truth, and, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever, forever. Uh, so, uh, what we have here is because the nature of God is not changed, and the nature of God is expressed in the moral law, therefore the law is a good testimony to all reasonable creatures, whether they be in a, state, in a fallen state, in a regenerate state, or in a glorified state. Because the creature is always a creature. If the creature is one thing that's different than what he was intended to be here as a creature on earth, then the creature is not saved. Something else is saved. Some new thing was created there, not the creature. But the creature who is saved is the creature out there. And the creature out here has a certain nature, and it's a moral nature, a reasonable nature. All right. So, uh, this law... Perpetually, forever blind, obliges all men to obedience. It does not change. The moral does not change in the least. At various applications, but the, the kernel, the moral equity, the moral equity is constant. The application of that moral law, which must be done by the reasonable creatures in the image of God are helped by God to know the moral law and how to understand it and apply it 
And you know what this model is? It would be absolutely useless if it's not an application. The Bible is replete, replete with examples of how God does it and how the prophets do it so that God's ministers may learn how to do it, make application of the Word of God, and that the Christian and then all of God's people may learn how to apply with understanding and wisdom of the will of God in their lives. Otherwise, this religion has no feet. I'm boiling down, I'm boiling down things to almost in the sense of nonsense. It should be that plain. It should be absolutely plain to us that that is the plain for it. It does not change in the least. In Matthew 5, 18, so much says that. Um, and it continues, again, in the regenerate nature of all believers. Uh, that's the maximum proof. This has been your outline. You have it in bold. And I have a bolded and asterisk. Uh, the quotation from Hebrews 8, verse 10, uh, that says this, um, that long ago, in uh, the major prophets, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, the Lord promised that this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after these days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts, not tables or of stone, but on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You know, that, that is reminiscent of the unconditional promise to Abraham that I will do this, I will do that. <laughs> And surely he will, because he is the Lord our Savior. And this is solidly applied by the Spirit. He takes and removes the stony heart on which he could put, you know, say we have tablets of stones. He could write, as in the Old Testament, on stone tablets again, but not. He takes out that stone and he gives us a heart of flesh. It's being, it's alive. And it's alive to God. And God wills it so. But that is the nature of a gracious covenant, the everlasting covenant that he makes. The house of Israel, a lot of, uh, unfortunately, a lot of theologians today don't see that the house of Israel is the root and stock of our own faith uh, in Christ today, and we have been grafted into that stock. We are the Israel of God, says Paul in Galatians 16. And, you know, all who live by this rule, peace be upon the Israel of God. That is to say, faith in Christ justifying. That's what Paul is saying in Galatians. All right. Hebrews 8.10, extremely important. If that's the case, the moral law on those tablets of stones continues in the heart of regenerate believers in this age and in the age to come. Let me conclude that. And I think we're through with the, the properties of the moral law. Moral law does to be understood in certain peculiar and distinguishing qualities as containing universal, perfect, spiritual, holy, just, good, and perpetual commandments. All right. The Lord has given us this kind of detail and the help of many, many prophets because this law needs to be applied. And God requires this application uh, because we need to understand it's it's infinite, it's infinite requirements, it's infinite holiness, and God requires our obedience to be perfect, sincere obedience, just as it were, a general understanding of what should be holy, a general understanding of what love means, a general understanding that we ought to abide in this day, a general understanding that, you know, we 
we shouldn't even steal rubber bands or paper clips. You know, I, I was, I was, when I was young, I was in the second grade, I went, went to the grocery store and I saw some rubber bands. I, I think I stole one. And uh, I had to confess it to the priest later on. I confessed to the priest, and the priest said, you know, give back the rubber band. And then I really fell into conviction because I was shot. And who knows where it landed? And I, was, I was doomed. I was, I was doomed in second grade. So, It's not, it's not, it's not anywhere, it's, it's not, it's not anywhere near what God requires of us. Well, I meant to do well. People who speak like that do not have to make a shot if you do the cover for other reasons in other words. People who just want to say, well, I'm not hard, and then I'm trying. Look, you need the definition of your theology. You need to say, God requires perfection in all. But in this one, he requires of us, without me, it just one, he requires of us in Christ. Who perfects the works of our head, and now we are seen perfectly. And now we go away to a degree. And God helps us forgive us, and he will. Sincere obedience, so we can distract the praise. Uh, we need a greater definition if we understand it and please God in our world. Now, again, there's a covenant of works to them. And a lot of people are now throwing a bunch of will say, oh, this is a republication of the covenant of words, period. They see that the threat is the lightning of the quaking, and they say, well, this is nothing about a threat. And then they think the most day covenant is in the full force of the covenant of words. And it's all over Christ that is revealed. They can have credit on that. God's law always retains its commanding and condemning power over Sinners under the covenant of works. If you're born Adam, you have not been redeemed, if you have not been regenerated, you're under Adam. Adam has covenant of works. He has to fulfill that work. And it's commanding, it's condemning power was on his head. He felt it, so there's trial to the flesh. Okay? Project. There's still all the nature of that condemnation. As a covenant of works, that law stands in full force. And by the way, I'll patient my friends. You parents have an authority to quote God and His will to your children in full force with all the threat of death if your child continues uh, in an appropriate manner uh, turning his back on the Lord. He will annihilate you because he's not giving any evidence of being regenerated. He's giving more and more evidence of being under a covenant of the works. The flesh seems to have dominion. The curse of the law is the life is disordered. And, and preachers certainly need to preach this law as a covenant of words because who knows to say it? There's not a person anywhere that can absolutely say this one is and this one not say it. And so, for a reason that I will explain in future preachings, this law must be preached in its all its integrity, in its all its details, in its all its force, in every voice, and the voice of slander is what? The main voice of Sinai is threat. Because that was the generation, says Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, that rebelled, stiff-necked generation, that fell in the wilderness. They needed a warning. And it was not enough room for them to seek refuge in the ceremonial types and the promises of God. And yet God promised to lead them to the promised land. He's always given them the promises. 
The covenant of words to me has been preached in its full voice. Now, if you're a Christian, I don't know, I can't get into this. I promise you, I'll make this point later. There's no time. Now, as a covenant, as a rule of life, under the covenant of grace, I'll bring you to this. Uh, in the hands of Christ, your mediator, he is your Christ. He is the one uh, that's taking your imperfect uh, attempts at obedience to perfect you before God. Uh, all of the righteousness here that is declared in the moral law, that's yours. That's free. It's yours. It's imputed to the believer. And that is yours to receive Christ. All of this goodness is in Christ. And if you're in Christ, then this is yours. That's good. That is still the command of the Ten Commandments. As a rule of life, you have it graciously, and you receive them at the hand of your teacher, the Lord Jesus. Um, and that's why and that's the difference, my friends, between the law as a in the form of a covenant of works and one of grace, a gracious rule for Christ's disciples. And that is why Jesus says, "Come to me, all you who are labor." Uh, who, who are weary and heavy laden? You, you are weary. You are, you are heavy laden. You have a, a, a tremendous burden of perfection. You understand the law. You understand his dictates and commands and threats. It's a heavy burden. Come to me, all you who are labor and a heavy burden. And I will give you rest. But then it says, Does it take my yoke on you? What does the yoke of Christ give you? It gives you the law. <laughs> And in a form that you can carry, you always must be carrying these things with your own shoulders, and you don't with it very heavy loads. But then that yoke is Christ's yoke, and you can give your yoke to the other, so that's not easy. All right. As a rule of life, this all is righteousness that is demanded, is given to you, or given to you. And so, but none of those things are obligated, and they are bound, they are still bound to keep the moral law both now and in that's, that's all we're going to do when I preach to the preface of the Ten Commandments. We're going to talk about what that means, that binding that is there, even uh, 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 with God's redeemed people. And then, yeah, the good news is the ladies are forgiven all imperfection, all blemishes of their obedience. Uh, God is still pleased, mightily pleased with you. He delights in you as you are impressed by faith as you begin to release this uh, in a way you know. The law cannot, cannot condemn a true believer. And neither can the law <laughs> reward a good believer. The law cannot promise a blessing by a blessing that you want to obtain. And so under the covenant of, uh, of Christ, uh, you, uh, the law, the reason that you are not trusting the law for your blessing or for uh, scared of its condemnation is that in Christ, you're dead of the law. That's, that's the reason. You died in Christ. The law of the three commandments was nailed to the cross. And so when Christ died, you died with Christ. And when he rises, he rises with him, he's glorified and glorified by Christ, and right. your life is in Christ, all of your life is in Christ. But, but you are not living to the law. You are quite dead to the law, even for its, its promises <laughs> and its threats. You are dead. It's almost like one writer says it's just as though a widow uh, were to receive threats 
Every time she visited her dead husband from the grave, she'd hear her voice, the husband would say, Ah, I don't want to keep the house. You're not keeping up with the 12 Jesus in He's dead and he can't talk. That guy's dead after her. So, there's a portrait in the middle of the material of the law of the same ten commandments, perpetual. Material of the same commandments, huge difference whether you are impressed or not. Uh, the last thing I'll say is no man, no man sincerely loves God's moral law. No man really sincerely loves God's ten commandments. Even in an imperfect, even if imperfectly, unless he really holds to be under the eternal obligation. No man sincerely loves God's moral law. Even in, in an imperfect period, unless that man holds to be under the eternal obligation. We want to do this righteousness. We, we desire to be holy. And God has in detail told us how to be holy. I'm going to first just be aware of any so-called believer that, that teaches or believes that the law is delivered or that the law has no place in our lives or are suspicious that somehow when a person is, uh, has a precise flaw of God or really is interested in, in the full pattern of the order of the moral, the moral order as philosophers have and all the best theologians in the world have. They all wanted to explore uh, the, the, the depth and the breadth of God's wholeness and in his nature as it is filled out in every human and every aspect of human life. And that, my friends, it is so far from realism that it is actually great love to God and great reasonableness in the creature and a wonderful service to those who love him. God, the Father, God, the Son, inhabits that temple. It can only be otherwise. Now, how do we get started with this? Well, we get started with this to receive the gospel. Be, be, be sure that that wall is unattainable. You need to feel it, especially these young people. You need to feel as you attempt to be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus teaches this. That's the law. You need to feel an utter sense of desperation at, at, at reaching that. And then you need to be driven to Christ. You need to go to him as a to a refuge, a rock. And the only escape from the wrath and the curse of God be for your sin. But if you are Christ by faith, he will receive you. If you if you will receive his promises, he will receive you into his will. And then that that law cannot harm you. As I said, it can't even bless you. It can't do anything. You're dead in the law. Now you are Christ. And the Christ will bless And that reference is gospel. That, that says that that righteousness that God requires in the law is given to you freely uh, in Christ, and now you may learn to begin to walk in the of life with the help of the Spirit through faith. That's the gospel. But the gospel is absolutely meaningless without a huge prayer. And that huge prayer is our own nature and God's nature. And how it has become ruined and is repaired. The repair is the gospel. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, as you uh, give us ample scriptures here to think about, we pray that the people would be mildly enriched uh, and that they would be uh, cheerful and profitable by us teaching and that they would learn that whatever you ask, 
uh, by your holy law, if we would but ask you for the reserve of grace, that you would help us change our hearts to love your ways, to begin to walk in the use of life. We pray that we are your life, Lord, we will always be with you, and that we need to perfect holiness with reverence to all that you are and all that you are.